You may have noticed that I'm dressed a little bit differently than I normally dress when I come to worship. And that is by design. When we attended Alice's wedding in New York City, Cindy took me to Boston store and she guided me through the clothing, men's department clothing. And she said, try this. Look, let's see how this looks on you. It's not a good idea to let Wayne navigate those types of things by himself. Someone else needs to help me know what to put on. And thankfully, God has told us what we are to put on, that he has given us. This is not something that we manufacture or gin up on our own, but this is something that God has provided, and now we just take it and we put it on. So, with that as an introduction, let's pray. Father, we do thank you that we can adore you because you are worthy of our praise. You are worthy of our adoration. And you have given us your word, your word that is truth proclaimed about who we are apart from you and who we are in Christ. And we thank you for that. And you've provided everything that we need for a life of godliness, for a life of obedience. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. We thank you for brothers and sisters who come alongside of us and challenge us, encourage us, and yes, even rebuke us when we need a rebuke. Father, now I pray that your spirit and your word and your truth and your glory would be accomplished and lifted up during this time together. May we hear you and may we obey you in spirit and in truth. In your Son's precious name I pray, we adore you. Amen. When you're given something new, when you get some new clothing at Christmas or for your birthday, um, it doesn't really do you any good to uh, hang that in the closet. This stuff was hanging in the closet. does absolutely no good hanging in the closet. It only has value when I put it on. You know, when I dress appropriately for the occasion. Now, I have a picture that shows uh, two different individuals. I don't know if you can advance that. One more slide. See, the problem is, is that the Bible says we are uh, essentially filthy rags. We are clothed in filthy rags. We've got a little boy there that uh, is up to his neck in mud, and he needs to have his clothes changed. We have a little girl there who's just adorable, and so I adore her, uh, not in the same way that I adore the Lord, but that is, do you, do you know who that is? That's Violet, yes. And the point is this, we had garments that were filthy, that were stained, that were not becoming entry before a king, the king of kings, and God has clothed us with the righteousness of Christ, and we are to put that on. We are to be clothed in Christ's righteousness. Now, I have bifocals. My bifocals make it possible for me to distinguish who you are. Right now, many of you are very blurry. I need bifocals. In fact, I cannot read a single word on this page here without my bifocals. And I can barely tell who you are with my distance vision. But when I get new glasses, aha, JP, you're there. 
it's good to see you. See, it doesn't do me any good to keep wearing my old glasses. The next slide shows that, you know, you can see that, that watch is blurry on the one side there, and that's the way I see things. And the one on the other side there is clear. You can see time. That's the way I see things if I wear my glasses, if I put them on. I've got in my closet at home old glasses. My old glasses don't help. I need a new prescription. I need to be seeing things differently. And God wants us to see clearly truth. So he has given us his truth in his word. Finally, if you're sick and the doctor prescribes new medication, and this will be the last of the pictures, you can either do the wonder worker stuff of days gone by, and, and that's not to say that there weren't some good, practical, basic you know, remedies back in the day, but a lot of that was just stuff to make money. That wasn't good for the, the recipient that had the disease. In fact, the list of you know, diseases that these remedies, these wonder worker drugs would, would solve, spanned so much of the universe of diseases that it was laughable. But the doctor, the great physician, diagnoses the specific needs that we have, and he prescribes truth to address those needs. And so we need to take that medication. We need to apply that in our lives. This morning, we're going to explore three truths and consider the truth that impacts our lives. The first part that we're going to talk about is who were we before Christ? It's important to understand who we were before Christ. Then we're going to talk about what did the Lord Jesus Christ do? And then finally, we're going to talk about what we should be taking off and what we should be putting on. What are the actions of the believer? So let's start by reading Colossians chapter 3 in your pew Bible. If you don't um, have a Bible with you or an electronic version, that would be on page 984. I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version, uh, beginning in verse 1 of Colossians 3. <clears throat> if, so this is only going to apply to some people. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Now, you could insert another word here that would not change the meaning. There is something known as if, then. If this is true, then this should be true. So, if then you have been raised with Christ, then seek the things that are above where Christ is, seating, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears then you will also appear with him in glory. Now there's a list of things to put to death or to take off. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away, 
anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. The new self is created. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Now, if we've taken something off, it stands to reason we put something on. And again, I want to emphasize before we read the, the things that follow, this is not something we manufactured. This is something God has provided. Verse 12, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to, the God, to God the Father through him. So, what is true of those illustrations that I used regarding clothing and prescription glasses and medication is true in the spiritual realm as well. New clothes and new glasses and a new prescription have no value if I don't put them on. And indeed, the things that God has provided to us through His Word and through His Spirit and through the gift of His Son have value when we put those on. And we're going to talk about that this morning. You are a new creation created in the likeness of Jesus Christ. In the scripture reading this morning, we read from Ephesians 4, verses 17 to 25. And it talks about um, how we are to be renewed in the spirit, spirits of our mind, to put off the old self and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God. And there are many layers of dead living, but let's just look at them in this passage this morning and understand how dreadfully awful life without Christ is. We need to step back in time to the time when we weren't believers, when we didn't have Christ, when the Holy Spirit didn't indwell us, when his word didn't make any sense to us at all. And we need to appreciate where we were so that we can better appreciate who we are in Christ and the things that he wants us to put off. It'll make perfect sense to us. It'll be like, why wouldn't I want to put that off? And the things that we're supposed to put on will make perfect sense to us. If the Spirit is speaking to us, they will. If our hearts are not hard. 
John Piper suggests some layers of corruption from this passage. The first is hardness of heart. In verse 18 of Ephesians chapter 4, it says, They are darkened in their understanding and alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. And what's the cause? Due to the hardness of their hearts. Before Christ, I had a hard heart. In fact, here's how my heart was displayed as hard. I thought I was good. That's utter nonsense. I was a sinner. I had a hard heart. I just didn't realize at the time, because everybody in Sunday school told me I was a good little boy, and my mommy and my daddy seemed to think they, you know, I was pretty good. I wasn't always obedient, but by the standard of the world, I was a good little boy. But I had a hard heart. And everything about Wayne flows out from that before Christ. Number two, I had a darkened understanding. That's what it says in verse 18. They are darkened in their understanding. Even this morning in the adult discipleship hour, when God's word was proclaimed, when Stephen proclaimed God's word, their hearts were hard and their understanding was darkened. They didn't understand what was being taught to them, what was being preached to them. You know what darkened understanding is? It's insanity. It's crazy thinking. It's thinking that it's safe to do things that God has declared are dangerous, that they lead to death. That's what darkened understanding is. And bad thinking, lest we forget, is the same as bad living. Jesus said, the man that looks on the woman with lust has committed adultery. If you say a hurtful, hateful thing to your brother, you have murdered your brother. So that's what we were like. We may have looked good on the outside, but we weren't. Thirdly, there's a gross ignorance of reality. God says, they are alienated from my life because of the ignorance that is in them. And that's the result of a darkened understanding, which comes from a hard heart. That means that, you know, God has already told us everything that we need to know to walk through this life in a way that is going to bring us peace and joy and purpose. And we purposefully go the other direction. That is gross ignorance of reality. We say, you know, I can walk this way and not fall if I stay. I, I just need to walk on air. And God says, no, that's not reality. You cannot do that. Fourthly, we have faulty desires. We are ignorant of the true value of things in relation to God and eternity. We have no relationship with God. And so apart from Christ, that leads us naturally to covet, to be greedy, to do the things that man and woman and child ought not to do. My faulty desires cause me to go after all the wrong things in the wrong way. 
Sometimes even the right things. I go after the right things in the wrong way. None of my desires has a proper relation to God, and so they are all ruined. Apart from Christ, my desires, let's be honest, my desires and your desires, they're about you. They're about me. That's the life apart from Christ. It's about me. If I'm happy, the world's a good place. That's the life apart from Christ. That doesn't satisfy. Number five. This results in a life of futility. Everything done apart from God and without God is wasted time and energy. And so the world goes on doing good deeds and God says, I'm looking at your deeds and they're not acceptable. They're trash. All your righteousness looks like filthy rags to me. And apart from Christ, even when we think we're trying to do something good, it's worthless. It's worse than worthless. It's displeasing to God. It's disgusting to God. It turns his stomach, metaphorically. Number six. And even more tragically, number six, it says... They are alienated, in verse 18 of Ephesians 4, they are alienated from the life of God. When I was that cute little six- and seven-year-old blonde kid at Sunday school, I was in the church building, but I was not in the church. And I was God's enemy. Not a very formidable, can't hardly say the word, Not a very big enemy, but I was his enemy, apart from Christ. And this seals our hopelessness, because without some mighty work of salvation, Wayne is destined to continue under God's wrath and suffer eternally for my sin. That's where I was. I had a hard heart. I had a darkened understanding. I had gross ignorance of reality about myself and about God. I had faulty desires. And that resulted in a life of futility. And I was alienated from the life of God. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. That's not a good place to be. To be alienated from God and to be children of wrath is not a good place. We were strangers to the covenant of promise. God's promises were ineffectual for us in real life. And we had no hope without God. Ephesians 2, verse 12. Now that's not very encouraging. But what did the Lord Jesus Christ do? Now we get to some encouraging 
news, the good news, the gospel. What has changed? What is different now? Now that you're forgiven and rescued and redeemed as a child of God, the psalmist has words to describe this for us. And this is really encouraging good news. In Psalm 103, verses 1 through 5, and this text is in your bulletin and on the screen, it says, and we sang this actually, parts of this, this morning. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is in within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. And what are his benefits? The psalmist tells us. Who forgives all your iniquity. Let that sink in. That's big. I don't want you to know about my iniquity. It's awful. Some of my words, some of my attitudes, well, apart from Christ, before Christ, all of my words, all of my attitudes, all of my actions, all of my desires, all of my purposes, those were very ugly. In Christ, who is changing me, there should be less of my old father, the devil, and more of my Savior seen. He forgives all your iniquity. All of it. There's nothing so bad you've done or will do that he doesn't have the capacity to forgive. Bless the Lord, O my soul. He forgives all my iniquities. But that's not all. He heals all your diseases. We've got a, my friend Tim has a granddaughter in, in the hospital in ICU right now. They've been struggling to figure out what's going wrong. And we're thankful for medical science and we're thankful for what they can do. But our, our biggest problem is that we are dying in trespasses and sins apart from Christ. And this says he heals all your diseases. All the spiritual sickness and death that was a part of your life before Christ, that's been healed. That's been taken care of. And it says, he redeems your life from the pit. Unless that's not clear, that means you've been rescued from God Almighty's eternal wrath and judgment. And that's big to be rescued from that, folks. I'm so glad that my Savior has an arm that's strong enough to hold me. That he saves to the uttermost. That he doesn't lose any of his sheep that he's called. I'm thankful for that. Because I'm a sheep that has the tendency to wander. And I need a Savior that gently grabs me and pulls me back to be close to him. And then, if that's not enough, Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. He crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. Oh, he takes out all the bad things and he throws in this bundle of his love and his joy and his mercy and it's steadfast and it's crowning you. He's like saying, I'm the king, you're my princess. 
I'm the king, you're my prince. And here's how I'm showing you that, that I highly adore you, I love you as my child. I'm going to crown you with steadfast love and mercy from me forever. For this life and for the life to come. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. He satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. That sounds better and better to me as I get older and older and older. And as I watch Cindy's mom get older and older and older, that sounds very, very good to me. And it's true. Because the outer man may be wasting away. The outer man may be dying. But God is renewing those who are his daily, day by day. So, what did Christ do? <laughs> what didn't he do? He did everything in love for me and for you to make you his child. So then, there's an if statement. In Colossians 3, verses 1 through 4, it says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek those things that are above. So the first if then is, you have been raised with Christ. If you are his, you are raised. You are not a dead person anymore. You are alive in Christ. You are a new person. You are a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. You are different. I know I'm different. I can only imagine and I probably can't even imagine bad enough what I would have been apart from Christ. I, I, I give myself too much credit for you know, having made good decisions apart from Christ, which is utter nonsense. I walked in darkness. I was dead. I was not pleasing God. He arose, Jesus arose, and you are now alive in Christ. It, it, that's what the apostle says. You have been raised with Christ. He is risen. You have been raised spiritually to new life. You are not dead in your sins. You're alive. That's good news. Number two, you seek things that are above. In fact, it's, it's assumed. In this passage it says, if then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. That means that's the normal thing to do, to seek the things that are above, to look above. And that means that the world and all the attractions of the world, the allure of the world, it's dulled and it's lost its attractiveness. <coughs> it doesn't appeal the same way as it did. It doesn't hold the power or the sway or the interest that it once did in Christ. You see the rust, and you see the decay, and you see the lack of purpose. Because you're seeking the things that are above. Where there is no rot, rust, or moth, or decay. Those, that's good news. Thirdly, you have died. It, it says that. For you have died, in verse 3, 
and your life is hidden with Christ in God. You have died. You are not dead in your sins, but you have died. The things that once appealed to you and your old nature, when you taste them, they taste bad. When you smell them, they stink. When you hear them, they just don't have meaning anymore. Brother Don talked about that in Sunday school. The songs that he used to like that had meaning, Don would tell you that stuff has no pull anymore because he's a new creation in Christ. Those things are ugly and repulsive, or at the very least, they really don't satisfy. And we see that in our world apart from Christ. Fourthly, your life is hidden with Christ in God. Take comfort from those words. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. To say this another way, you don't have to measure up and you don't have to pull yourself up. He's already lifted you up. He seated you in heavenly places. You don't have to do it. All your iniquities have been forgiven. Psalm 103, verse 3. All of them. Your life has taken on the merit of your Savior. When Satan goes before the Father to accuse him, Christ, who is your advocate, steps in and says, you have no claim. This is someone that I've purchased that's made clean by my blood. You have no claim. Be gone. Apart from Christ, there is a claim. Your good works no longer bring you glory. Now, there's nothing wrong with being encouraged by someone who notices that you've done something kind or good or generous. But ultimately, we should take the greatest satisfaction when the Father who gave us everything to begin with gets the praise. We should be very excited and pleased that no longer our good works are for me, to make me look good. Don't I look good? Doesn't the Father look good if you are in Christ? Isn't he worthy of being lifted up? And I don't mean that by that we always have to, when somebody compliments us, say something spiritual. It's okay to say thank you for the encouragement, because that's what it is. It's encouragement. But ultimately, we need to continually remind ourselves that it's about our Father. It's about the Son. It's about the Holy Spirit that indwells us. Finally, this is so encouraging. It says it in two different ways in these passages. In Psalm 103, verse 4, it says, (coughs) Your life has been redeemed from the pit. In the passage that we're looking at this morning in Colossians, it says, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Let that sink in. You get to be in the most perfect place with a holy God 
forever because of what Christ did. You did nothing. You didn't deserve it. None of your works merited anything. But you get that huge blessing from God. So you've been raised with Christ, and as a result, you seek things above, and you recognize that you have died, and those things of the past no longer have a pull on you, and your life is hidden with Christ in God, so you don't have to measure up or pull yourself up. Your life has been redeemed from the pit. Wow. I'm encouraged. So what are we to take off and put on? What are, what are we to do differently? Well, how, do, how should we appear different to those that are not believers? And what does it mean to set your mind on things above? Well, one of the things that the, the Scripture reading this morning said was, we are to put away falsehood, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbors, for we are members of one another. So truth is central to who we are now as believers, as, as children of God. And there are two passages of Scripture that, that are just a, um, very helpful to remind us of this. The first is John chapter 8, verses 30 and 32 through 32. This is Jesus. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Fundamental to living the life that God has called us to, that he has placed us in, that he has raised us to, is to accept truth, to hunger for truth, to want truth as much as we want bread. Jesus said that he was going to give the Holy Spirit to guide us into all truth. In John 16, 13, it says, when the Spirit of truth comes, this is Jesus talking to his disciples, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are come, to come. So there really are two schools you can learn at. One of them is the school of legalism, and the other one is the school of grace. And the school of legalism is me creating my list of resolutions and trying like crazy to measure up. And that's not going to work. What I need to do is to follow God's instructions in his word to put off certain things and to put on certain things that he's provided. So what should we put to death? What should we take off? What were the filthy rags that should not be part of our lives anymore that we should be taking off? In verses 5 through 9, it, it makes that clear. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. So, the earthly things. What are the earthly things? These are all of the examples that are given. And he does, it's not an exhaustive list. He doesn't list everything in the Ten Commandments. He doesn't list every possible sin that you could commit. But he lists some that are pretty common to man. 
And they have to do with, with relationships, with people, and with things. And here they are. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire. If anybody in this room has succeeded, apart from Christ, in conquering those things, please raise your hand. It's not possible, apart from Christ. And you're all guilty. I'm guilty. And covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them. So these are the things that God says, you need to consciously put off these things, covetousness. When Satan comes to you and tempts you, or you are just tempted of your own evil desires to covet, you need to say, Father, that's an evil desire. I'm taking that off. Guide me into truth. Lead me in the way of righteousness. The second part of this is violence against others. Murderous attitudes and words. And the way that he says that in this passage is, now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another. Seeing that you've put off the old self with its former practices. So all those practices are really violent against someone else. And we are to be putting those off. And that includes with our spouse, with our children, with our grandchildren, with the neighbor that we don't care for, with the boss, with the people that report to us, with everyone that we come in contact with. We're to put those things off. Because we are putting off the old self. And that's not possible. I know that's not possible apart from God's truth and the Holy Spirit. Not possible. But God says it's possible as we walk with him to put those things off. What we should put on then is covered in verses 12 through 15. Verse 12 says this, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. That's concern for others. So, at the beginning of my day, as I'm making my list of things that I must do, which as a retired guy means I can be very creative, I you know, have so much latitude, but my list should not be my God. My list should provide some direction, and I ought to look at my list and say, so is any of this showing compassion to anyone? Is this one adding any kindness or goodness into the life of someone else? And if I get a text message or a phone call from somebody that says, I need your help, what becomes of my list? My list gets set aside. Rob got the answer. Set that thing aside. Because I'm to put on concern for others. So I take off the concern for Wayne and Wayne's list, which has some value. Although Cindy would question probably some of the things on my list. I'm supposed to be making a bunk bed for my daughter for her birthday. It's already a week or so past her birthday. I'm working on it, but it's really slow. Thanks to Gordy, you know, we made a little progress. What else should we put on? We should put on forgiveness towards others. Verse 13. If somebody has a complaint against another, forgive each other. 
as God has forgiven you. How many times have you heard that? Okay, so I put off holding a grudge. I'm going to set that aside. I'm going to put that off. And I'm going to put on forgiveness. And I'm going to forgive. As Christ has forgiven me. He makes it possible for me to do that. Verse 14. Above all these things, put on love. Because it binds everything together in perfect harmony. Verse 15. A heart ruled by peace. Put on a heart ruled by peace. So, are the things that I'm putting on in the morning going to create unity and peace? Or are the things, you know, am I, am I thinking about how I'm going to get my way in a certain area of life? Thankfulness is mentioned twice in this passage. It says in verse 15, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called to one body and be thankful. So, I should be taking off a lack of gratitude and I should be putting on the clothing of thankfulness. That requires prayer and decision to be thankful. And that requires action to be thankful. That's not just this feeling of I'm thankful. This means Others are going to see your thanks in your life. And in verse 16 it says, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So thankfulness appears to be pretty important to God because he mentions it twice in just this small passage. That's what we should be putting on. And then finally, don't miss this, God's truth, verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Another way to say that is to put on the full armor of God. Put on the belt of truth. Take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Put on the helmet of salvation. Now here's where, in conclusion, this can get misconstrued, misinterpreted. This sounds like something i got to do. This sounds like another one of my to-do lists. Doesn't it? Okay, Wayne. To-do. Be thankful. To-do, Wayne. Love somebody. To-do, Wayne. Be compassionate. Okay, let me figure out who I can be compassionate to. I'll add that to my list. Somebody that needs compassion. That's wrong thinking. That's not the way to approach this. We are to set our minds on things above. We are to let the word of Christ dwell in us. We are to let the Holy Spirit speak to us and cause us then to think differently, to speak differently, to do differently. Not my list. Not my, not my to-do-good list of putting on, putting off. And maybe the best way to think about this is the phrase that ends the passage. Verse 17. Look at it. Colossians 3.17 And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay. So here's the problem that I have. You probably don't have this problem, but this is the problem I have. 
Every time I pray, I say something at the end of my prayer. I say, in Jesus' name, amen. Now, that's not wrong or bad in and of itself. But there is a problem that I fall into, and maybe you do too, so I'll share with you what the problem is. The problem is, is I don't think about what that really means. To do it in Jesus' name. Or I pray in Jesus' name. Here's what it should mean to me when I pray. Two words to help me remember. The first is merit. Father, I'm asking in Jesus' name, and yes, you know, you know I don't deserve this. And you know I don't merit this. And you know I'm not worthy of this request. I'm not even worthy to really come into your throne room apart from the grace of Christ. But your son merits this. And I'm calling on you based on his merit. He is worthy. I am not. So the request that I'm making, it's because of who he is. And now the life that I live I want Christ to get the merit. I want the Father to be pleased and say, well done. I'm well pleased. That's the goal in Jesus' name. Give Him the merit. Give Him the glory. And so when I pray, Father, be gracious to Maggie and to Maggie's grandpa Tim. In Jesus' name, I'm saying, as it pleases you according to your will, based on the merit of Christ, please get her out of ICU so she can go back home with her family. Based on Jesus' merit. I have no merit to claim to ask for that. But Jesus has merit. And so I come based on his merit. Number two, the other aspect of this in Jesus' name, glory. Who gets the credit the praise. In the name of Jesus means, Father, if you answer this prayer, in Jesus' name, what I'm telling you is, I'm asking this for the benefit of His glory. That His name would be praised. That the medical professionals that are by Maggie's bedside in ICU would see God do a work and see the work of God's people through this whole, what we see as a tragedy. May Jesus Christ be praised. May He get the glory. Sometimes, in fact recently, I've been, as I've been praying in the morning, as I get to the place where I'm going to say goodbye to God, in Jesus' name. You know, that's like, goodbye God, I'm on my way now. <laughs> I've been changing the way I pray. I say, Father, I'm asking this because your son is the one who deserves the merit. He, he's the one that has the merit. I can only ask based on his merit. And Father, ultimately, how you answer this prayer request, I ask that it be 
for his glory, for your glory, and not mine, not anyone else's, in Jesus' name. I think if we lived that way, if we prayed that way, if we thought that way, that would change an awful lot about our lives. So I want to go back to the opening illustration. Do you consciously dress in the new garments that God has given you? Do you put on compassion? Do you put on the belt of truth? When Satan comes and attacks, do you have the helmet of salvation ready? Do you know God's word to be able to have those truths permeating your very being? You don't want to dress in the old clothes. Those are not appealing. You have the Holy Spirit. You can see things in this world and in, in the lives of people that they cannot see. God has given you vision. You were blind. Not only were you dead, I don't, I don't understand how you can be dead and blind. If you're dead, you can't see. But God uses those illustrations to help us see how pitiful life is when we're not believers, when we're not his children. We're blind. But now you can see. And Jesus said, I am the light of the world. The person that follows me walks in light. We all sin. <clears throat> what's, it, what's it about the medicine? We all sin. But there's always hope from the great physician. Jesus said, it's not the healthy that need the physician. It's those that recognize that they're sick. Those that are sinners. And he said, those are the ones I've come to doctor. Those are the ones I've come to see. And when he healed the lame man, and he went, when he gave the blind man sight, it was just to illustrate the greater spiritual things that he was going to do by being the resurrection and the life, to make the lame leap for joy, to make the blind to see, to make the deaf to hear. And he has given you all of those things in Christ. He deserves our praise. And don't create a to-do list. Put off the old person and put on the new in Christ. Let's pray. Father, I recognize I am a very weak vessel that you've placed behind this piece of wood this morning to declare your word. And I pray, Father, that your word would, according to your word, not return void. That you would accomplish the purpose to which it was sent. And I only can ask this because of the merit of your Son. And I ask that he would receive the glory from any fruit from our worship this morning. In his name, amen.